Ron DeSantis is planning to announce his bid for president today. That part is not all that interesting. Everybody knew that he was going to run. The interesting part is how he's choosing to do it. Elon, take it away. So, uh, yes, I um, will be interviewing um, Ron DeSantis, and he has uh, quite an announcement to make. Um, and will be, be the first time that something like this is happening on social media and with uh, real-time questions and answers, uh, not, not scripted. DeSantis is going to announce his presidential bid in a conversation with Elon Musk on Twitter. Now, if I were running, I would announce my campaign in a conversation with Tom on MySpace or perhaps with the Winklevoss twins on Zanga because I am a little more old school. But what DeSantis is doing, it's a great move. It's a great move for Twitter, which needs to make itself indispensable, which needs to become the hub of conversation, or it's going to go bankrupt within a year. It's a great move for the DeSantis campaign, which needs to innovate, or else it's going to lose because Trump is currently up by 41 points nationally. And this is great news for American public discourse, which currently has only one prominent medium that is not completely tyrannically left-wing. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Very important breaking news. Another long-standing, well-known American company has gone gay. We are T-minus seven days out from the beginning of everything being painted rainbow. We, I guess it's already really started, but we will get to that. We will get to the new, the new gay company in just a little bit. First, though, don't want to skip over this Twitter stuff. This is great, great news. Smart for DeSantis also because if DeSantis just gives a conventional campaign announcement, one, he's going to be running a conventional campaign, and if he runs a conventional campaign, he is going to lose to Trump. That is almost guaranteed. So he's got to run an unconventional campaign if he holds a conventional kind of press conference. The questions are going to be about Trump. That's not going to make DeSantis look very good. He's, he's got to mix it up a little bit. Now, does launching your campaign on social media, does that go too far? Does that close you off from boomer voters, from not very online voters? I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit of the risk here. But don't forget, the, the cable news host who is most beloved by an older conservative audience is Tucker Carlson. Tucker's bringing his show to Twitter. He's doing that in part because of the constraints imposed on him by cable news and by Fox News in, in particular. But he's going to do it. And the bet there is I can bring my largely boomer audience over to social media. But forget about Ron DeSantis. Even forget about Tucker Carlson for a second. I've got more important news, which is that we are going to Twitter. We here at The Daily Wire are bringing all of our shows to Twitter. We're going to remain on YouTube. We're going to remain on Apple Podcasts. We're obviously going to remain for our members, the creme de la creme inner circle over at Daily Wire Plus. That's going to be the premier outlet for the shows. But we're also now going to be airing our shows on Twitter. In part, we are doing this because our buddy Matt Walsh irritated the YouTube overlords. And so he was demonetized on YouTube and he was constrained. He was forced to find other outlets. He put his show on Twitter and it's worked out very well. So then Jeremy, the God King Boring, who's never, never seen 
an opportunity that he hasn't taken <laughs> in politics and in business and in the media. He said, okay, great. You libs wanted to present us with a problem. Well, now we've found a solution out of that. And so we're going to bring all of the shows to Twitter. And this is great news for Elon too, because this com- the Twitter company is not on good footing. It had been almost run into the ground by the time that Elon took over. And now Elon's saying, okay, we're going to have a real place for traditional American standards of speech in the country. And we're all moving to that. We'll see how it goes. Now, meanwhile, the libs are very, very upset by all of this, especially that DeSantis is running. Vanity Fair headlines sums it up. Report. Ron DeSantis will formally announce his 2024 bid with Elon Musk because apparently David Duke wasn't available. David Duke, who's a guy who has not been politically relevant in like 30 years. David Duke, he's the symbol of racism. And DeSantis, he's a racist. He's a neo-Nazi. He's, uh, this is good news for DeSantis to be called all of these things. If you are not called these things by the Democrats, you are not making any meaningful attack on what they hold to be sacred, on all of the crazy lib policies. If they're not calling you a racist, if they're not calling you a phobe, if they're not calling you a bigot, then you just don't matter to them. And so this is good. Great news for Ron DeSantis. Great news for Elon. Elon Musk, the most prominent African-American in the entire world, they, they have the audacity to compare Elon Musk with David Duke a white supremacist neo-Nazi. We have an update on the neo-Nazis. The attack from a couple of days ago, you remember that U-Haul at night drove in to Lafayette Square, hit a post, and it was a little bit weird because they open up the back of the U-Haul. There's not much in there. There's just this one really nicely pressed, clean, brand new Nazi flag. And so, of course, it's being reported, the neo-Nazis are taking over again. We need to clamp down on conservatives. And when this happened, I said I was a little bit skeptical. It's kind of weird. The details didn't really add up. I thought it was pretty lackluster in terms of spectacle. I didn't think there was really a a Nazi sitting in that truck. And I would appear to have been proven correct. We now know the uh, identity of the driver driving the Nazi truck with the perfectly ironed, placed swastika flag for the press to take pictures of. His name, Sai Varshith Kandula. Sai Varshith Kandula. Does that sound like a neo-Nazi name to you? Maybe if I say it with a German accent. Yeah, Sai Varshith Kandula. Kandula Weinesteiner Fleinergeiner. Does that? No, I don't think so. I think he's a subcontinental sort of fellow. So you might say, okay, He's not a neo-Nazi. It's all a big misunderstanding because the swastika is an ancient Indian symbol. So maybe they just got their wires crossed or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, all they found in this truck, backpack, duct tape, notebook with pages full of writing, and this brand new Nazi flag. If you were skeptical of this attack, you are justified in your skepticism. You are vindicated once again. Once again, An important reminder, we all need it from time to time. When you see these headlines, Elon's a Nazi, DeSantis is a racist, Trump, he he extolled the virtues of Hitler at Charlottesville, or whatever they said about him. The Nazis are attacking Lafayette Square. Just don't believe it. 99.9999999999% of the time, it's fake. 
It's not real. Remember the last Nazi attack was a Hispanic guy? Yeah. yeah. When you want to educate yourself, one thing you can do is listen, listen to shows such as this that will show you the side that the establishment media will not. Another thing you can do a little more formal is go check out Grand Canyon University. Right now, go to gcu.edu. Are you ready to take the next step in your education but struggling to fit traditional classes into your busy schedule? Grand Canyon University's online programs are designed to make earning your degree easy and accessible no matter your age or stage in life. Whether you're a busy professional looking to advance your career or a stay-at-home mom or dad juggling family responsibilities, GCU's online courses give you the flexibility that you need to learn on your own terms. I really love GCU. I visited the physical campus of GCU years ago. It was one of my first college speeches I ever gave. I was really impressed by all of the students there and their seriousness. And these guys are so serious and their education was so helpful to them that I now work with two of them. Two of them are my colleagues, one at the Daily Wire, one at Young America's Foundation. So GCU, man, they're really, they're punching above their weight and they will specialize in helping you fit your bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree into your busy day. From scholarships to customized scheduling, your graduation team led by your own GCU counselor provides you with the personal support that you need to succeed. Why wait? Take your education to the next level. Go to gcu.edu, gcu.edu. Speaking of racial attacks, forget about the Nazi white supremacists, or I'm sorry, forget about the Indian Nazis and the Hispanic white supremacists. You've also got to pay attention to the black faces of white supremacy. That, of course, would be not just Larry Elder in California, but Clarence Thomas and Tim Scott. The View, the white ladies of The View, very, very upset at that white supremacist Tim Scott running for president. He's one of these guys who, you know, he's like Clarence Thomas, black Republican who believes in pulling yourself by your bootstraps, rather than, to me, understanding the systemic racism that African Americans face in this country and other minorities. He doesn't get it, neither does uh, Clarence. Right. And that's why they're Republicans. Yeah. (laughs) I I know. He doesn't get it. Now let me, Joy Behar, I'm going to tell you all, it's almost like a Fauci voice. Well, they're both from New York. I'm going to tell you about the black experience in America because Clarence Thomas and Tim Scott, they don't understand it. Everyone's making fun of her for this. Some people are feigning outrage. Some people are genuinely offended. And everyone is mocking this idea that Joy Behar is advancing, that Tim Scott and Clarence Thomas could misunderstand the black experience in America. In Joy Behar's defense, it's not totally absurd in principle. In this case, it is. It's, this is absurd because Joy Behar is totally out of touch and Clarence Thomas and Tim Scott are far more closely grounded to reality and they have a far more accurate perception of the world. But it's not, it's not totally out of the question that black people could not like black people or something like that. Black people could not like black identity racial politics. That's of course not out of the question. Think about women who oppose feminism. Is it absurd to suggest that some women oppose feminism? No. The women who oppose feminism have a far keener perception of reality than the pro-feminism women. And they're still women, and they recognize the complementarity of the sexes. And so they espouse a worldview that is contrary to the dominant liberal worldview. But that's very possible. People's 
views of reality, moral reality, physical reality, political reality, do not derive inevitably from physical characteristics. They don't. And I, I fear sometimes the conservative response to ridiculous babblings, the kind of which we just heard from Joy Behar, are to suggest that they are. Well, black men absolutely understand the black experience in America. And they're, by virtue of being black, they totally get it better than a white person does. That's not necessarily true. That's not, you, you don't need to experience something directly to have an understanding of it. In fact, sometimes having a little bit of a remove, having a little bit of perspective can help. The reason that Tim Scott and Clarence Thomas are right is because not only do they have some experience, but they have highly attuned faculties of reason and they perceive the world correctly and they begin from correct premises and they're just right. They're right because they're right, because they view the world correctly. They're not wrong because of the color of their skin. They're not right because of the color of their skin. They're just right. They're right because they're on the right. <laughs> okay. And it's a, it's a subtle distinction, but we don't want to take the bait from the libs and fall into their, their mistaken thinking. I'm just feeling very charitable today. I don't know what to say. I'm trying to give libs the benefit of the doubt left and right. Corrine Jean-Pierre, she's getting raked over the coals because she said Democrats don't have a spending problem from the White House podium. Everybody, she was asked the question very directly because we're in this debt ceiling fight. Here's her answer. Speaker McCarthy said yesterday uh, in front of the White House that the reason why we are in this problem is because every time Democrats wanted to make a deal, they wanted to make a deal about spending more money. So do you agree with Speaker McCarthy that Democrats have a spending problem? No. To it. <laughs> no, to it. Look, um, I'll say this. Uh, the president's budget reduces the deficit, as, you've, as you know, by nearly $3 trillion over 10 years, right? This is a president that believes in uh, dealing with the deficit in a real way. That's on top of the $1.7 trillion uh, that the president has been able to reduce the deficit the last two years. So the president takes this very seriously. Okay, Democrats don't have a spending problem. And then she gives these pretty weak and dubious numbers, the numbers which almost certainly are not accurate, and the numbers which are deceptive anyway, because the spending has gotten so insane in recent years that if you, if you dial the volume up to 75 and then you take it back down to 65, but really your volume should be on a 1 to 10 scale, you could say, well, I reduced the volume from the loudspeaker, but it's still insanely loud. It's still going to blow out your eardrum, right? So all of that is a little ridiculous. But to her point, the Democrats do not have a spending problem. She's right. She's totally right. And I know conservatives are going to pull their hair out over this and say, you're lying, Karine Jean-Pierre. How could you possibly say such a thing? She could say such a thing because it's not a problem to the Democrats. It's the point. The Democrats don't have a spending problem. Democrats have a spending solution. Democrats' solution is we are coming up against a traditional culture that we've done a very good job of cracking and disassembling, but there's still a lot of common sense in America, and we haven't attained total perfect cultural hegemony yet. So how are we going to do that? We're going to wield the power of the state in an unprecedented way. And in order to wield the power of the state, we need a lot of money to do it. And it, that's going to have a double effect because if we spend a lot of money, that's also going to weaken the 
order of our society, which is going to give us an opportunity to take even more power. And so the way that we're going to get more control over the culture is to spend an insane amount of money in debt America to her enemies and pummel our political opponents into submission. It's very bad. It's a bad thing to happen, but it's intentional. It's effective. It's a solution. When are the Democrats going to address the spending problem? Never, never. They're never going to do that. That's what they're there for. They're there to wield that kind of power. Are we going to observe that and acknowledge that and try to turn the political situation to our advantage? Are we going to say, wow, golly, she's crazy. Imagine if the shoe were on the other foot. Imagine if the shoe were on the other foot is going to be the epitaph on the headstone of conservatism. Being so charitable to my political opponents. I want a cookie for this. I want an award for how charitable I'm being. I'm going I'm to take a charitable read of politics all the way to the extreme. Project Veritas has a new undercover report out. It's an extremely disturbing report. They infiltrated a pedo ring that's on the internet, and they were able to track down some of the people who were participating in this pedo ring, people saying the most horrible, horrific, disturbed things you can imagine, trading in the most demonic kind of images you can imagine. Some people then going out and acting out their extraordinarily disordered desires on real kids. Watch with your own discretion, you know, I mean, proceed with caution. I've got just a little clip here, which we've cleaned up. It's still basically acceptable for (laughs) wholesome viewing uh, of, of Project Veritas going in, finding one of these guys and interviewing him. And here's what he has to say. The first man, Jonathan, we found living in New York in government subsidized housing. How's it going, Jonathan? Yeah. So uh, is your email E-L-8 Gmail? Okay. This stuff has kind of come up because he was like addicted to a porn. Yeah. Um, so it's like I actually now limit his internet access, but he does have a phone. Mm-hmm. Like he's been asking for a tablet and a computer, being insisted on buying it and now. Yeah. I see why. Um, will he act upon it? Will he do it? I, I don't think so. We had a meeting on Katrina treatment plants, and he was like, they were talking about the amount of porno he's watching. He said, I can't even brush my teeth. That's great. He can't even um, brush and, his and, teeth. And, and then he said, I stop and then I, I do what I need to do and I watch things. He said, because I just can't focus. He said, it's up with focus. So that's when we decided to limit his internet and, and we limit everything. And we said, slowly we do it. And he is in therapy, not for this, but to therapy overall. And they go on and they interview this guy who is just a husk of a man. I mean, his brain has just been melted by pornography. He is just completely addicted. He's he's living in government housing. His life has totally fallen apart. Obviously, this is awful. It's great that Project Veritas is going in, shedding a light on this. I think they got one of these websites shut down. They've referred a lot of cases to prosecutors. Unfortunately, the prosecutors aren't doing very much about it. I think in part because the prosecution has gone soft on crime recently, but also there's just so much of this. There's so much to prosecute that they don't even get to it. That's a little bit frustrating. So Project Veritas has shined a light on that. That's all great stuff. But when I watch the guy be interviewed and then the person we just heard from, this guy's government-appointed landlord, I feel a great deal of pity. I feel a great deal of pity, not just for that guy, for all of us, for our whole culture, which is in the throes 
of vice and addiction. Obviously with the weird sex stuff, but with everything, forget just the sex stuff, with drugs, with constant stimulation from computers and screens and social media, even of a non-pornographic variety, with, with an obsession with stuff and consumerism and food and just and everything. We are so addicted and concupiscent and incontinent and unable to control our base appetites. That's a social problem. This guy is the extreme of that. It is hard to imagine a more extreme, crazy example than this guy. He can't brush his teeth. He's so addicted to porn, to the most disgusting, horrific kind of porn you can imagine, that he can't take 20 seconds to put some toothbrush, brush his teeth really quick, and he can't do that. That's how addicted he is. To me, that is a cautionary tale. We've talked about porn a lot recently because we had a guest on to talk about how one of the drivers of the transgender identity movement, all this mania, is pornography, which is ubiquitous. And it's a, a technological kind of problem that society has never dealt with before. This is a product of a, an, an increasingly libertine political order, but then just the technological innovation of high-speed internet. So it's everywhere. People write in about this all the time who say, I'm addicted to pornography or I see pornography everywhere. It's all over society. I think that's the extreme of that. And so the, the value I see in the investigation from Project Veritas is, one, you know, I hope, I hope it can clean up some criminal enterprises. I'm a little skeptical the prosecution will do that. But two, look at that guy. Do you want to end up like that guy? Because that's the logical conclusion of indulging vice. That's the logical conclusion directly of porn, I guess, but of all of it drugs, slothfulness in your job, pride, gluttony, weird sex stuff. The logical conclusion of that is that you will become a slave to your addictions, that you won't be able to brush your teeth. And the, the only other option is to be a slave to righteousness. In, in the gospel, when Christ says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, some people hear that and they hear that to mean there is no yoke, there is no burden to choosing God over evil. That's not, no. The yoke is easy and the burden is light. There is a yoke. There is a burden. But it, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like I can't brush my teeth because I'm so addicted to vice. It looks like growing from vice and addiction into mere incontinence. So you, you want to... You, you want to do bad things, or you, you want to do good things in your mind, but you still do a lot of bad things, to continence, which is you want to do good things, and you mostly can control yourself to do the good things, to ultimately virtue. I was speaking with a priest friend last night who said, people now, they don't even think that virtue is possible. And you don't even need to be a practicing Christian to understand this. This is a traditional idea. This is just going back to good old Uncle Aristotle and others as well. But, but if you don't practice those habits of virtue, you're going to practice habits of vice, and you're going to end up down the path to that guy. It's some of the most important investigative journalism I've seen in weeks, and it has almost nothing to do with the story itself. It has to do with the story of all of us and how the society is operating. We had to talk about this with people. And when you want to talk to your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Remember the last time you got a free phone? How'd it start? It started out great, didn't it? And then came the hefty activation fees, the four-line requirements, and of course, that binding contract. 
Pure Talk is giving you a free 5G Samsung Galaxy phone without the feeling that you've been duped. When you switch to Pure Talk's unlimited talk and text to data plan that comes with a mobile hotspot, you will get a 5G Samsung Galaxy for free. That's right, unlimited everything at a fraction of the price of Verizon, ATT, or T-Mobile. And here's another thing. You will be on America's most dependable 5G network. How do I know? I'm a customer. So make the switch to Pure Talk, the cell phone wireless company I'm proud to stand behind because they offer great service and they are proud to stand behind our mission at The Daily Wire. Pure Talk's U.S.-based customer service team will help you make the switch in as little as 10 minutes. You can even keep your own phone number. It's just a great company, great service. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles for your free Samsung Galaxy when you sign up for unlimited talk, text, and unlimited data. puretalk.com slash Knowles. Pure Talk wireless for Americans by Americans. If you're looking for something interesting to watch, check out our series, What We Saw, hosted by storyteller Bill Whittle. Season one is focused on Apollo 11, and now season two of what we saw is in full swing. In episode 11, we continue on as a fearless fighter pilot breathes new life into discouraged American aviators during the Vietnam War as they defy outdated tactics and execute a lightning-fast surprise attack, shaping one of history's most remarkable military operations. Bill makes you feel like you were there, witnessing history. Hear this incredible story in this week's episode of Cold War. New episodes of the Cold War come out every single week. But you've got to be a member to see it. Go to dailywire.com slash cold war to start watching. Speaking of cautionary tales, this headline from USA Today, this takes the cake. This takes the absurdity cake. This is more absurd than Vanity Fair calling Elon Musk David Duke, calling Ron DeSantis a white supremacist. USA Today, black women looking for black sperm donors struggle with harsh reality of shortage. When Mardashe Julian West and her wife decided to become moms through in vitro fertilization, they knew they definitely wanted black babies. They just didn't know how hard it would be. Whatever laws we need to pass to make that paragraph unintelligible or less intelligible than it already is to make it implausible in society. We need those laws. <laughs> a woman and her wife, that is not, that's not real. That is not a semantic, uh, a semantically meaningful phrase. Uh, that is not the sort of thing that ought to be culturally accepted or understood. And it certainly shouldn't be legal. It's, it's meaningless. You can't Someone cannot be her wife because marriage necessarily involves sexual difference. That's the first part. They decided to become moms. Two women can't simultaneously be the mom of one person because people are created with a, by a mom and a dad. You need both of those things. As these women realize, which is why they're trying to purchase sperm from men who donate that sperm by selling their progeny, the prospect, the potential for progeny, for money, which is extremely disordered and obviously should be illegal. And then they commit an act that is immoral and should not be encouraged by the culture or the state. And then the cherry on top is they, they don't want those defective white babies or biracial babies. They want those good black babies. And they're very upset that they can't go to the black baby store and buy a black baby because there aren't enough black men 
who are selling out their future progeny and committing grave mortal sins so that the banks can take the money and sell the black babies. We were just mind blown, says this lady, Mardoche Julian West. There are black lesbians, there are black queer people, there are straight people who have fertility issues. There's just a huge demand. So it was insane. I remember feeling angry, resentful, and robbed. She feels robbed because she feels that she is owed a baby, not just any baby. She can get the baby, even without marrying a man. But, but she can't get this totally black baby, and she feels robbed. She feels entitled to it. But of course, when it comes to procreation, the only person who can be said to have any rights is the baby. Babies have a right to a mother and a father. The babies have a right to be conceived through the conjugal action of their natural mother and father. People don't have a right to babies. Babies are wonderful. I I got two babies, but not everyone gets to have a baby. Some people struggle with infertility. Some people choose not to get married. Some people pursue other sexual desires, and they prioritize that over having a family. And that's that. You pays your tickets and you takes your seats. Okay, (laughs) that's it. A a lack of black donors is nothing new, experts say. Uh, But an increased demand for them in recent years has turned a small problem into a big one causing families to wait for years for the right donor, spend thousands of dollars in the process, and often make compromises on the race of their children. Compromises. You got to compromise. I know what the epitaph of the headstone of conservatism says, but let's just take that Vanity Fair article that called Elon Musk a white supremacist and Ron DeSantis a white supremacist, and then imagine if Ron DeSantis and Elon Musk said, oh, we had to compromise on the race of our, we wanted a beautiful white baby, but then we had to compromise and he's a little bit black and we didn't want that. And I'm, we're angry about this. To quote this woman, I want people to be angry about this. I don't, you know, we didn't want to have a black baby or any part black. We wanted a perfectly pristine Aryan white baby. But then we had to settle for this uh, partially black baby because that was the sperm that we were able to buy or whatever. Could you imagine? We don't have to imagine because that's what we're hearing now. Except of course, when the people who are angry are of a favored race rather than a disfavored race, then this is reported on quite sympathetically by USA Today. USA Today is not Vanity Fair. It's not Slate Magazine. It's not Salon.com. USA Today is, is the m- newspaper that shows up at your, at your door at a hotel, okay? It's a very mainstream paper. This is a very mainstreamed idea. How are we going to fix that? Are we going to fix that by boycotting the sperm banks or something? We're going to fix that by boycotting USA Today? No, we can wield our cultural and commercial power. The only way to fix that is by wielding political power. The only way to fix that is by changing the law and then enforcing the law and then having the law be a teacher and changing the culture in the process. What a media story. And speaking of the media, I've got I've got an article here from the American Pravda, the Associated Press, which used to be a little more center-left. Now it has become a far extreme left-wing news outlet. And the AP is reporting on John Fetterman, Senator John Fetterman, who had a stroke on the campaign trail. He gets elected. His brain is not working properly. He can't really speak. There were already news reports that he was getting frustrated and he couldn't understand what people were saying to him. And he couldn't do even the basic jobs of a U.S. senator. He then checked himself into a clinic ostensibly for depression. No one really knows the details of this. He gets out some months later. He's he's been appearing at hearings. You can take a listen. Obviously, things are not working very well for him. Is it staggering? Is it a staggering response to responsibility that 
the, the, the head of a bank could literally could literally crash our economy. It's astonishing. That's like if you have, I mean, like, and and they also realize is that 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 now they have it's in a guaranteed a guaranteed way to be saved by no again by no matter no matter by, by how you know so it's it's you know isn't it appropriate that the those kinds of this kind of control should be more stricter okay it goes on it gets much worse there's no need to play the whole clip and humiliate him it's very sad that his family and his colleagues are are allowing this to happen uh, if you've ever known a stroke victim they need to recuperate and they don't need to be on national television in a high stress job unable to speak on television when their job is to speak. So how's the AP reporting on this? Back in hoodies and gym shorts, John Fetterman tackles Senate life after depression treatment. So he's been showing up. He's wearing hoodies and sneakers around the Senate. It's scandalous. It's sad. Everyone knows this guy is not well. How are they reporting on it? People close to Fetterman say his relaxed, comfortable style is a sign that the senator is making a robust recovery after six weeks of inpatient treatment at Walter Reed Medical Center. Oh yes, the fact that he can't speak and can't even dress himself in most of the time in the Senate, that's a sign of how well he's doing. Great leader, great supreme leader John Fetterman, doing wonderful, causes sun to rise in the morning. More from North Korean television coming up. This would make a North Korean news anchor blush. This kind of, this would make a Soviet apparatchik news editor in the height of the USSR working for Pravda blush. It is so preposterous. He's setting a new dress code, jokes Vermont Senator Peter Welch. He was struggling and now he's a joyful person to be around. Okay. Yep. Sure. He's great. He's great. Never better. Wonderful supreme leader. Nobody believes that. The AP editors don't believe that. The people reading it don't believe that. John Fetterman and his family don't believe Nobody believes that. But we are all supposed to live in lies because we have a sclerotic and incompetent ruling class. Now, some people are trying to see some opportunity there. So we're talking about Ron DeSantis making his big announcement today. Hillary Clinton, the former future president of the United States. Hillary Clinton never, never quite goes away. She was being interviewed about the Democrat side of this election. And she was asked, do voters have a right to be concerned about Joe Biden's age and senility? Her answer, why, yes, they do. Well, I mean, it's a concern for anyone. Um, And we've had presidents who've fallen before who were a lot younger um, and people didn't go into you know, heart palpitations. Um, but he, his age is an issue, and people have every right to consider it. But, you know, he has this great saying, and, and you know, I think he's right. You know, he, you know, don't judge him by running against the almighty, but against the alternative. And I am, you know, of the camp that uh, I think, you know, he's determined to run. He has a good record that... Three years ago, people would not have predicted would have gotten done. Uh, he doesn't get the credit yet that he deserves for what is happening out in the country in terms of, you know, jobs and growth and, and planning for the future with chips and other stuff. So I obviously hope he stays, you know, very 
you know, focused and able to uh, compete in the election because I think he, I think he can be reelected, and that's what we should all hope for. Not the most rousing endorsement, is it? Was that a rally cry? He is determined to run. He has a good record. And he will probably run. Mm-hmm. Can I run yet? Can I? Is there an opening? Is there an opening for Hillary? Do not count this woman out. Joe Biden doesn't know which end is up. Joe Biden has, in recent years, not met a flight of stairs that hasn't proven a monumental challenge to him. Joe Biden is past his prime, and his prime was never all that great. There are lots of people waiting in the wings. Obviously, Buttigieg and Kamala are trying to fight over who jumps in if Biden falls down every single day. Both of them are total jokes. They're going nowhere. Gavin Newsom is the serious candidate waiting in the wings out there in California. That's why he's going on a national tour to run against Ron DeSantis, because they're the two sort of shadow candidates. And then there's Hillary. Do not count her out. When people want to make predictions about the 2024 election, a year and a half out, they say, oh, it's totally Trump's. Done. Oh, it's totally DeSantis. Trump is cooked. Oh, it's totally this. It's totally that. The only thing you can expect in a presidential election is the unexpected. Hillary Clinton has wanted to be president every single moment since she was in her mother's womb back when she was denying that she was even a human being. And Hillary Clinton has never lost that desire. It has only grown greater and greater with age. Do not be surprised if we see a Hillary 2024. Speaking of disreputable New Yorkers, such as Hillary Clinton, little update to the Jordan Neely story. Uh, Jordan Neely, who's, he's the career criminal, 42 plus arrests, who was taken down by a hero Marine on a New York subway when he was threatening people. He's the guy who punched an old woman, an old, a woman of a certain age in the face, gave her black eye, broke her nose, attacked another senior citizen. So, The uncle of Jordan Neely, Christopher Neely, was just arrested this week after officials had been searching for him for a string of larcenies, allegedly. And then he was trying to run from the NYPD. They recognized him. He was caught carrying credit cards from numerous victims. He was armed with a gravity knife. Bad dude. He was a bad dude, still is a bad dude. They arrested him. In the spirit of charity that I'm extending to all of the libs today, to Corrine Jean-Pierre, to even people in the throes of the worst kinds of crimes. This helps to explain Jordan Neely himself. Doesn't exonerate Jordan Neely. Doesn't mean the Marine was wrong to take him down. The Marine was absolutely right to take him down. But it is a reminder that no man is an island unto himself, entire of himself. This is something the libs get right. When the libs point out that we live in society and we're not just atomized individuals floating in outer space and what we do actually does affect other people. Conservatives have tended to deny that on the economic front and liberals have tended to deny that fact on the social front. So they say, oh, whatever I do, man, it doesn't affect you. I can, I can be in a polyamorous throuple with two dudes and a billy goat. It's total, that doesn't affect you. Man, get your head out of my bedroom or whatever. And the conservatives have said, get your head out of my wallet. Get your head out of my bank account. But that's, that's not real. Those are, those are both false conclusions that come from the false premise of liberalism that we are fundamentally individuals, and we're not. We're social creatures. Had Jordan Neely been raised in a normal environment, in a normal culture, with a better family, with, without criminals all around him, I'm not saying he would have turned out great. He might have turned out rotten even then, but he would have had a better chance. 
And so when we want to fix our problems and all these individuals who are acting crazy, who are in the throes of all sorts of vice, some of whom look like that guy in the Project Veritas video, the way that we're going to fix that is not just by saying, hey, look at the man in the mirror and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's a role for that. There's a place for that. People should take a hard look in the mirror. People should get down on their knees and pray. And also we should do that as a community because man is not just an individual floating in outer space. Man is the political animal. My favorite comment yesterday is from Peter England, who says, Democrats say that, uh, that, oh, it's the North Carolina governor, says, we're going to set education back a generation, dot, 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 so SAT scores will go up. That's so true. When the libs whine and complain about school choice, and they say, oh, no, you're going to set education back a generation, that would be a good thing. Let's hope that we could set education back two or three or four or five generations. Then students might actually read books. There, there was a, a piece going around the internet yesterday, and it was from a foreword to the Odyssey by Homer. And this man was writing about 100 years ago, maybe a little more than 100 years ago, writing about how when he was teaching school, the school students who were 8 to 12 years old asked him for a fun little treat if they could read the Odyssey as a break from all their much more rigorous work. Today, school children probably don't know what the Odyssey is, and they surely wouldn't ask to read it. They'd probably just ask to watch cartoons in the classroom or something like that. We, let's, set genera- let's set education back 10 generations. Can you imagine what an educated society we would have? Okay, we're, we're a few days out now, week out from Rainbow Month. So another company has gone gay. This is a commercial actually from some years ago. I think it's about two years ago. It's just come back up though. It has made it and gone viral in the wake of Transheiser Bush destroying the most popular beer in America, Bud Light. Which company is it? This certainly would pain the founder of this company. Ford Motor Company, super duper gay. Take it away, Ford. Commercial opens. Do not attempt to recreate or reenact this scene. And then where it should have a, a warning label, you know, the rating for like a movie, it's the pride flag that says progress. Rated for progress. Here we go. We got two mud-soaked Ford trucks. Go, baby. One looking meaner than the next. They're off-roading. They're driving hard. They're driving fast driving through water. And the, oh, but then the water washed all the mud away and it's gay. The truck has been painted in some pink with a rainbow on it, which for virtually all of human history was a sign, a symbol given by God of his covenant with mankind that he would never again destroy the world in a flood. Now it just symbolizes weird sex stuff and pride, the queen of all sins. And then what happens? The rainbow truck wins. So it's not just that the gay truck, the LGBTQ, the trans truck, is accepted. It's in the race. It wins. It has to win. The trans truck has got to win. Probably now Ford would not make that commercial. Reason being that 
Bud Light has been destroyed. I'm not sure Bud Light can ever recover. Formerly the most popular beer in America, I think Transheiser Bush destroyed that. And they destroyed it in part because they wanted to stand in the middle of the road. So they couldn't totally embrace the Dylan Mulvaney beer can, but they also couldn't totally disavow the Dylan Mulvaney beer can because the, the audience, the consumer base, hated the Dylan Mulvaney trans can, but the investor class, the, the liberal establishment, the media, the powers that be, they love the trans can, and they exert a lot of control over the companies through things like ESG, through things like GARM, through uh, all of these international associations and agreements, which say that if you want access to advertising, if you want access to capital, you've got to tow this crazy woke line. And so Bud Light has been wrecked by that. Now some companies are trying to dial it back. Target decided to hire a Satanist to promote weird trans clothing lines to all sorts of people. There are children's trans clothing lines. There's been backlash against that. Now Target executives reportedly are scrambling. Ford, I assume, is going to try to suppress this commercial. It ain't 2021 anymore. What changed? What changed here is conservatives were able to institute an effective boycott of Bud Light. They just took it a little bit too far, and frat boys and construction workers actually stood up and said, no, we're not going to drink this stuff anymore. And furthermore, Bud Light it became so egregious that it became a meme. So now if you're at a bar, you say like, hey guys, what do you want to drink? All right, I'm going to get, I'm going to get some yingling. Maybe I'm going to get some shots of Jameson. And then if you want to make fun of your buddy, you'll say, and uh, Johnny over there, I'm going to get him a Bud Light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take that, Johnny. I'm making fun of you. I'm calling you effeminate. <laughs> you'll say, I don't want a Bud Light. Don't give me a Bud Light, man. Come on. And so it's become a joke and it's very hard to recover from being a joke. I mean, that's that's really brutal. Same thing probably happening to Ford here. We've got to keep up that pressure. Matt made this point. He articulated it directly, but this has been the point that has been building for months now, which is we need to make that symbol toxic. The pride flag symbol, we need to make that toxic. We need to have companies think twice about it. Everyone was talking about the, the Dylan Mulvaney incident as being harmful to the Bud Light brand. That's true. But more importantly, it was, it was harmful to the Dylan Mulvaney brand. Now, now other companies are going to think twice before sponsoring Dylan Mulvaney because they don't want to lose $6 billion in market cap in two days. That's what we got to do. And then once we make these things culturally toxic or as we're making these symbols culturally toxic, we've got to bring in the cavalry. We've got to come back in with more political force to ban some of this stuff, to say no. We talked about it yesterday with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, this anti-Christian drag troupe that is being honored by the LA Dodgers. The LA Dodgers are either going to exalt the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence or they're going to exalt the Carmelite nuns. <laughs> they're going to exalt regular, normal Christian sisters. They're either going to exalt LGBTism, prideism, or Christianity. It's going to have to be one or the other. They're conflicting moral views. And we are going to operate according to some moral view. Which one's it going to be? Don't back down now. The, the, the progress that conservatives have made on this just between 2021 and 2023, the fact that companies are trying to suppress these videos now, back off them, that shows we are winning. Keep pushing much, much harder. Before we go, Kathy Hochul, she's the governor of New York. Kathy Hochul uh, has responded to the migrant crisis, which has been 
a disaster for Democrat politicians. You see even the liberal Democrat, Eric Adams in New York, he's saying, we don't want this migration crisis. Stop sending the buses here. This is evil. This is awful. We can't keep it up. We got to stop it. We need law and order here. Kathy Hochul, the Democrat, has come in. She's taking the side of the illegal immigrants. You think about what we have open right now? I know upstate. I know exactly where it starts to. There are over 5,000 farm jobs. 5,000 farm jobs open as we speak. The cows don't wait to be milked. The plants need to be maintained and harvested in a few months. The crops. We have more than 5,000 food service jobs right now. I'm a former waitress. I made pizzas, chicken wings, waited tables, cleaned floors, did pots and pans. Doesn't take a lot of skill. I was 15 years old. Those jobs are available. 4,000 openings for janitors, cleaners, and housekeepers. As I mentioned, the jobs for farm workers as well. So we're grateful that the Biden administration has instituted a new border process, starting with the suspension of Title 42 on May 11th. We all know that date well. And that will allow asylum seekers from other countries to seek sponsorship and to apply from their home countries. And if they don't, they will be turned back. So that is a shift in policy, which we hope will be successful and mitigate the flow of new arrivals here. We want these people to apply. We want them to come here, though. We got to have them do these jobs. It's good. Come on over here, illegal immigrants. We want you. What does this mean? This means that Kathy Hochul thinks that her, is, her bread is buttered more by the political class than by the people. The people have made their opinion on illegal immigration clear. The people have been pretty articulate. Populism is doing just great, okay? A lot of the liberal elite institutions are on the run, but some politicians are betting against the people, against clear majorities. The vast majority of the people think transgenderism is insane. The vast majority of the people don't want their kids being taught critical race theory and, and weird sex stuff in schools. The vast majority of the people want to drastically reduce migration. So why are there some politicians who are still supporting these things? Some, I guess, have firm ideological beliefs. Kathy Hochul's not one of those people. Why are some of the convenience sway in the wind politicians still supporting the unpopular policies? Because they believe that the political class can do more for them and more against them than the people can. So what do we have to do? We need to show that the people still have some power in this country. We need to wield our pocketbooks. We need to boycott. We need to say no to Transheiser Bush. We got to say no to Target. We got to say no to... And then we also need to infiltrate that political class, start wielding the state. We've got to convince the Kathy Hochul's of the world, the liberal establishment, shill, Joe Biden, empty suit, hack politicians of the world, that there are going to be consequences too, that you can't totally turn against the people and their common sense and not face any consequences. You've got to crack that ruling establishment. Now, today's Woke Wednesday, baby. We got a lot. Mr. Davies assures me we have a very important video today. The show continues now. Dailywire.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.